the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. Today's guest previously worked for Hall of Fame boxing promoter Frank Warren for 18 years, overseeing PR and media for a number of British world champions, including Ricky Hatton, Joe Calzaghe and Amir Khan. He's also worked with a number of international boxing stars, including Mike Tyson, Vladimir and Vitaly Klitschko, Bernard Hopkins, Kostya Tazu and Johnny Tapia on both sides of the Atlantic. Richard, if you recognize this intro, it's taken off your website. He's <laughs> he's also got some cracking stories from his time working with Irish fighters such as Eamon McGee, Francie Barrett, Neil Sinclair, Michael Gomez, Martin Rogan and Brian McGee. In the last couple of years, he's done P- PR and media work for the McKenna brothers, Aaron and Stevie. And now he's focused on Sky Sports Boxer Series and promoting their fighters. He's handled hundreds of world title fights and remains as keen on the sport as ever, even recently taking on a boxer on, of his own as a manager. It's Richard Maynard of Maynard Communications. Richard, welcome to the show. Fantastic. Thank you for that intro, Kevin. Um, I think I need a, you can be my PR man, a PR man for the PR man. <laughs> yeah. Um, i to be on. Thanks for, thanks for, well, for having me on. I suppose a PR guy for a PR guy would be essentially a minion though, wouldn't he? You, you're too important for to do this work, so you just get someone else to do it. Oh, well, you, you always need a PR man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Boxers, especially, they get in, into all sorts of scrapes. What's the worst scrape a boxer has uh, has has gotten himself in, and you've had to handle it on a Saturday morning or a Friday night or something? Oh, damn! There's been loads. It's obviously a lot of sometimes it's a lot of the bigger names, you know, that have been stung by the, by a paper on a on a um, on a. You get the call late on a Saturday night, and it's coming in print. The next day in the Sunday, obviously the usual trick. They are the journalists, as you know, leave it to the last minute, <laughs> so it's difficult to get the uh, story pulled. But uh, um, I think the I haven't had one in recent times. Um, uh, you caught me on. You caught me on. Uh, yeah. To be honest, I've not had that too many, too many, but too many bad. A lot of them, I think, with when the boxers had retired, uh, for example, like Ricky Hatton, Joe Calzacchi. And they've got themselves into a, you know, just a little bit of uh, trouble outside. And um, but, but yeah, since since then, I've had nothing really. Would you tell those boxers to be open about it? To you know, admit what you've done and to come out and tell the story. Maybe get out in front, control the story. Exactly. Yeah. Ahead of <laughs> being being splashed in the paper on on a Sunday. Um, but now, as you know, it's twenty four hours now, isn't it? So a story can be broken any time rather than just a Sunday. So. 
Um, but yeah, I generally agree that's the old rule. You know, just come out with the story first, do do a, do an exclusive with with some with, with an outlet first, and uh, get the story out there. So it clears the it clears the decks for the future. Yeah, the role has changed over the years. I, I suppose when you started out a couple of decades ago, at this stage, Richard, um, it was newspapers, broadcasts, you know, radio, TV. Uh, things have yeah. changed now with the advent of social media and you know immediate twenty-four hour rolling news. Yeah, exactly. When I started with Frank in nineteen ninety-nine, we still had this thing called a fax machine. <laughs> I think the new generation don't even know what that is, um, but we was using fax machines to to send out faxes to journalists um, still. And I upgraded things and got us onto email and sent out email uh, emails groups to journalists um, and groups in different regions and you know countries and areas um so yeah that was the sort of advent and since then it's yeah it's now it's just snowballed isn't it the technology and the pace of it is incredible um it's definitely definitely quickened up with social media in the last seven seven to ten seven to ten years i'd say yeah and the media room itself has changed i say when you started out there was maybe 10 or 15 usual suspects uh, the kind of almost cliched newspaper yeah. journalists showing up, cigarette in the cigarette in the mouth, you know, uh, phoning in their copy, and it changed then to with the uh, with the YouTubers coming along. Who who were the who were the heavyweights on the scene when you started out uh, working in PR and boxing? Journalists, yeah, yeah, journalists. Like for example, the, obviously this is in in England, but you'd have like Colin Hart at the Sun, John Dillon at the Mirror, Dave Smith at the Evening Standard. Gareth Davies, who's still about uh, for the Telegraph, um, Steve Bunce for the Independent, Bunce still about, um, Ian Gibb for the Daily Mail and Jeff Powell for the Mail, um, Frank Wichula for the Daily Express, uh, Kevin Francis for the Daily Star, Steve Lillis for the Daily Sport, Pat, uh, well done the sun. Um, yeah, that was, that, that was the hardcore journalist, that was the press pack. Yeah, it's, it's burned into your yeah. brain by the sound of things. Yeah, exactly. So they'd be on speed dial. So whenever we had something on, uh, I'd, be, I'd be straight onto them. Uh, so that's, yeah, so like those names are ingrained in my head. <laughs> I guess uh, in those days, newspapers had bigger budgets as well. So if a British fighter was fighting in the States or an Irish fighter was even fighting in the States, like they, they'd travel en masse together and uh, you'd be maybe looking out for them and looking after them and setting up interviews exactly. for them and spending a lot of time with them. Yeah, exactly. We, we'd do um, press, press junkets. We'd take out fighters. Um, you know, we would take out press to see fighters, um, but you had then you had like a hardcore press pack. Like we said, those those names that I mentioned, um, they'd be on speed dial, and you'd, you'd uh, get them along. Uh, they'd come to everything, and like, but now the, it's changed so much. You have the YouTubers. YouTubers now is just in the in the hundreds every week. I get uh, an email from a new media outlet that started up a new YouTube channel that started. I love boxing. We love boxing. <laughs> <laughs> boxing for life names. boxing forever yeah loyal to That's sport oh, we've, oh, got, yeah. we've got x amount of followers we've got x amount of followers we've got x oh, and you, you have to sit through them and see because there are some quality ones in there um but you don't want to dismiss them all but just can't let everybody in you just wouldn't you'd have more you'd have more media intentions than you would have fans at certain shows so <laughs> it's just uh it's just incredible now like i said with social media outlets and also youtube channels they've just absolutely squashed you know traditional traditional written press do you ever get it do you ever get abuse into your inbox about you know not not giving someone accreditation oh you have an instagram oh, course, page yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. I've got the yeah, I've got two million followers, which is sometimes a bit dubious. Um, we've got you know, you know yourself, you can just buy them, but uh, um, look, we know the hard, look, pretty much like the journalists like I listed there previously. You know which ones are the big outlets, so you know, you know, um, IFL, you know, seconds out, you know, behind the gloves, um. Um, boxing social you know those ones and then below that there's some other sort of key ones coming through as well so you generally you get to know which ones are the the genuine outlets that come week in week out listen take my hats off to them because a lot of them do it on their own back and they pay for the hotel the travel themselves and they want to come so you can see which ones are are genuinely interested in covering it and which ones are just trying to freeload onto the onto the big big events so yeah. surprisingly, when we did uh, Amir Khan against Kel Brook, you suddenly saw all these websites you never even heard of, um, YouTube channels, never never come to a previous show in your life, and we wouldn't see them again. So, Yeah, and, and then it does kind of sometimes create tension between the print journalists and the broadcast journalists that are there, and then the social media kind of side of it as well, and people are angling for, oh, where am I sitting and stuff like that, and Maybe some maybe some people kind of fall off and don't don't end up going back because they don't you know they don't really like the scene too much as well. But it's a it's a changing game. Yeah, definitely it's um, it's but everything now is just is like I said we said I keep saying it but it's just social media now it's just the speed of it. You know now when we're accrediting at ringside it just used to be photographers. Um, now you have um, you have a social media guy uh, spot for a social media. Um, uh, guy to film and record so and it's not just still photographers now you have a spot for a social media guy and sometimes that can take up you know the, the promoter will have one sometimes the broadcaster will have one and in some cases the uh the, the fighter's own uh, uh social media guy will ask for one uh, sometimes but it's just it's limited you only got like eight spots ringside and you just have to accredit them wisely Richard, I believe if um, any of them were giving you a bit of lip at ringside, you'd actually be uniquely, you'd be qualified to uh, knock a few fellas out because you did a bit of boxing in your youth as well. You boxed during college, I think, for two years, had about 10 fights, uh, learned a bit yeah. at Brendan Ingalls' gym. Well, you've um, you've been done, some, done some research. <laughs> um, no, I, I boxed, uh, well, initially I got into kickboxing first when I was about 12, 13, but I've always loved boxing since I was small, uh, watching Mike Tyson. Uh, but then I got into kickboxing and then um, I graduated more towards boxing when I was about 16, 17. And then that's when I had my, that's when I boxed amateur as a light heavyweight. Couldn't make that now. <laughs> um, so 81 kilos. I remember, remember making doing the weight then. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I had, had 10 fights. I think it was like 50, 50, sort of five, five wins, five losses. Um, and then I had one final about when I was 30, uh, just a retirement into the sunset. And uh, yeah, then after that, called it a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you prefer your life inside the ropes or outside them? Um, wasn't it to be when you're younger and you're, you're you know, you're really into your sports and you, you want to, to, to develop and boxing was what I always wanted to get into. So being involved in amateur boxing um, was a great introduction and start for me. So, so at the time I didn't get in getting punched up in sparring in fights didn't really bother me. But then I've seen now, I couldn't, couldn't certainly go back to being punched now. It's just, uh, it's more, it's more gentle, more gentler on the outside. Was Frank Warren uh, your first job in boxing? Yes. Um, I got into boxing initially um, 
first with Brendan Ingle and uh, my teacher at the time. I was going to be working in, I wanted to work as a sports conditioner, like a strength and conditioning coach, because at the time, Evander Holyfield had one and they were becoming quite popular. Boxers were starting to use them. So I wanted to qualify and learn how to to do that. Um, so I went to, uh, I did a fitness course in Cambridge where I lived and uh, my teacher at the time sent me to Sheffield. She said to me, she said, I've got my uncle's friend in it's got a gym in Sheffield um he runs a boxing gym it might be good for you to go there and I was didn't have a clue who it was um I just wanted to get into boxing anything to learn and, and get into boxing I wanted to do so I just said no worries booked a, booked a train ticket <laughs> didn't know where I was going just got to Sheffield had to give give this number a call um and then went down it was Brendan Ingle went to the gym and then <laughs> walked walked in the gym and who's there it's uh, a young Naz yeah he's about 17 18 years old uh, we're roughly the same age so he's the same age as me and um he was in the gym and it was yeah but he, I think he was just starting out as well and in the gym was Johnny Nelson Ryan Rose was an amateur um Pele Reed John Faxton all these guys um they're all in the gym, so it was uh, definitely a definitely a, an education to be in Brendan's gym, and he was the absolute professor of boxing. Yeah, did you get on well with him? Oh, definitely, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was. He'd help anyone that wanted to to learn. Um, so I'd be in the gym. I'd just be helping out, you know, running around and doing spit buckets, clearing up, helping take gloves off, just really basic. You know things in the gym, just anything to be around, and it's just be it was such an experience, and to be around fighters and learning um, at that level, um, to be in a gym, it's like things like that. You know, opportunities don't often come around. So when when I look back now, you know, it's, you take you take a chance, don't know where you're going, um, and this is finally you know down the road, this is where it gets you. So yeah. you have to start off and just take your chances wherever early on in your career. Yeah, Ingo was some character, all right. I only met him towards the end of yeah. his life. Um, would like yeah. to have known him. Would like to have known him earlier, all right. But uh, yeah, he was he was fully happy even then. Oh, but um, those there, there was one title you did miss off my introduction, Kevin. I, I'm chairman of the Boxing Writers Club. Oh yeah. <laughs> so so I've just been uh, well, I've been uh, appointed this year. I was vice chairman last year, but now I've ascended to uh, chairman of the Boxing Writers Club. But um, years ago, Brendan used to tell me about when I when I was first there. He used to tell me about going to London to meet all to a big swanky dinner at a posh hotel, and all the boxing writers are there, and they give the the boxer an award, best fighter. Didn't know what it was then, and of course, when I started working with Frank, we had to start going to these to the, the boxing writer dinner. And the first one I went to, and I think and saw Brendan there, and uh, Brendan said to me, "This is what I was telling you about all those years ago." <laughs> And um, yeah, it's just incredible. Now I've been with the Boxing Rights Club for as uh, in the committee for about probably ten years now, um, and to now be chairman. And um, we've got our first dinner in May um, next month after following the period of COVID. So it's our first dinner, um, so I'm really looking forward to to um, to presiding over the occasion. So what do you get to do as to preside over the occasion? Do you, do you pick the menu? <laughs> we have had discussions. Uh, Colin Hart will tell you I've had many, many a row over the pudding. He prefers sticky toffee pudding, but I've suggested uh, 
been been in the spring a nice summer summer pudding would be nice <laughs> yeah. no, but we do discuss obviously important things like the uh the, we had a meeting yesterday actually just to to plan ahead um for the for the dinner so we're expecting about 300 people uh 300 guests um on the night and it's as you know it's a um it's a big occasion all the fighters come members of the press um guests um we have uh MPs come along as well. We've had, you know, quite a few MP speakers. Um, so no, it's a bit, it's a big occasion. We'll have to get you to one, Kevin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm just waiting. Book my flights and, and I'll be over. But um, <laughs> like, uh, what year did you begin working for Frank Warren? And like, you were thrown in at the deep end early. You know, you worked with you know Mike Tyson pretty early in your time with Frank. Yeah. And, you know, Hatton was coming yeah, up. Kazaki were coming up. Hall of Fame career or Hall, British boxing Hall of Famers. You know. Um, yeah, big names yeah, on, the, on the up and up. Well, no, it's a baptism of fire. Um, I think that was the best way to learn. Um, uh, I was just thrown at the deep end. Um, I'd just come out of university. I did a degree in business um, because I changed my direction. I was going to get into this, like I mentioned earlier, sports and strength and conditioning. But along the way, I changed my mind. I wanted to work in the actual business, but I had no business experience. So I went to do a business degree, came out. Brendan, luckily enough, uh, spoke with Frank and um, I managed to get in. So it was another great piece of timing. I finished university in May 99 and uh, by September 99, I was working at Frank's and yeah, um, straight in Michael Gomez, um, Irish uh, descent, Mancunian of Irish descent. He was my first fight um, against um, Gary Thornhill um, at the York Hall, the home of British boxing um london boxing and um yeah that was my first my first show and uh then followed shortly after with in january 2000 with mike tyson and everything i'd done prior to that in those three sort of three months working was nothing compared to what i experienced on that mike tyson fight because at the time mike tyson in 99 was still a seriously big 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 name and um probably yeah, well, still the, the biggest name in the sport and what came with it was just an absolute tornado. What came with him, it was just I didn't sleep for the for the two weeks that he was over here, um, and I think I didn't sleep for another two weeks afterwards. It was just an incredible time to work with someone that you'd watched on TV when you were young, and then all of a sudden you're talking, you're sitting opposite him, talking to him, um, talking about boxing. Obviously, I've got I love boxing, love the heavyweight history. So you're talking about all the old fighters, our league. Um, Jack Dempsey, Joe Lewis, um, you know all the all the big names, and he was just like a walking encyclopedia. So you were you were keen to impress this guy. I don't want this guy to think I'm some sort of spoofer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so it was it, it was it, it, no. Don't, don't get me wrong. I wasn't the case. We were just sitting talking all the time. It was he had a lot of people, you know, a lot of entourage mm. around him. So it was a very rare occasion you see him on his own or at, at breakfast. He would be wandering on his own sometimes and just. Grab a grab a quick word. We'll say hello. But um but yeah, it was um but yeah, obviously it was a Julius Francis fight. Um it sold out in two days. Uh, at the time that was a record and for, for, for a fight selling out. And in those days I think you had to call up call up the box office for a ticket. Um but it sold out in two days and it was an absolutely incredible occasion. I remember the night, you know, David Beckham's there with with uh, with his wife Victoria. Um Naomi Campbell's there, you, you know, all these footballers around, it's just uh, film stars. It's, it was an incredible night in Manchester. Didn't Julius Francis sell uh, advertising space on the soles of his shoes that night or was it? 
Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I saw Julius two weeks, a few weeks ago when we was in Wembley for a show, and uh, we had a good chat. And Julius, Julius is in good form. <laughs> he really remembers the night. He's a security guard at Fox Park at Wembley, and um, Julius is yeah, he remembers the night very well, of course. And was that your was that yeah, your idea to set? Was that your idea? No, no, I can't claim that one. That was that was done between Frank and I think the editor at the time of the Mirror was Piers Morgan. So, for well, those two did the. Uh, did, did that did that together um but yeah whatever it was it generated generated tons of publicity it was uh you know the soles of your boots selling the soles of your boots but uh but yeah it was a brutal fight i think it was two rounds correct me if i'm wrong was it two rounds and i think uh yeah julius put up a, a, a good a good contest while he could but tyson was just a whirlwind wasn't he powerhouse and what was his, what was uh, Tyson's frame of mind at the time? Was he friendly or surly, or how did he come across? And I guess as well, yeah, you had to arrange his you had to arrange his time with the British press. And you're not just going to have the boxing writers that you named at the start of the show. You're going to have that times ten with all the chief sports writers, o- other people coming along as well, wanting a piece of Mike Tyson. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Until that point, I've just been dealing with regular British press, like the guys mm. that I've mentioned. You know, doing fights with Richie Woodall at Telford Ice Rink, WBC World Middleweight Title Defense, and these other sorts of um, other, other smaller fights. Ricky Hatton was coming through. He wasn't the name that he was um, towards the end. He was just a fighter coming through and defending his Intercontinental Title. So I was trying to get press for him, and then. Um, yeah, then obviously when Mike Tyson came in, it was just like, bosh, him. my phone was just constantly ringing all the time. Everyone was wanting, can you get me with Mike? I want to speak to Mike. When's he coming in? I'll give you, how much do you want? <laughs> it's just, yeah. <laughs> I was, can, you, can you get me to the front of the queue? Uh, it was just um, incredible, incredible experience and just seeing how, you know, how people wanted access to Mike. Um, but obviously, yeah, we secured time for... At the time it was Showtime. Uh, they were they were he was in a deal with Showtime, so I worked with their PR team, and we um, obviously coordinated all the interviews. And there was exclusive time for just British uh, national press um, uh, to speak to to Mike. So certain times were set aside um, for access. So he wasn't just available at any time. You know, we had set times available, and we had training opportunities. Uh, video for the, the cameras uh, and that was down at the groves and house hotel where he trained and um um but yeah it was just absolutely incredible you know people trying to thrust money at you and offering you things to for access it was um <laughs> real eye opener yeah and tyson's name at least sells itself when it comes to bums on seats and pay-per-view but which um of frank's up and coming stable did you have to work hardest on and are you proudest of that became a success because you're looking at you know amir khan coming up he had the olympic recognition but Hatton, you know, really, really made it into a popular fighter. And he had, he yeah. probably had, and then obviously Calzaghi as well, you know, went all the way to Las Vegas himself. So which, which fighter took the most amount of work to get to the top? Well, it would be, it'd be whilst it was it's an absolute dream to work with names, like say Amir Khan and, and guys like that. Amir came out of the Olympics and he was already a household name. Um, so he already courted press easily. But when you're working with a guy that's we're we're bashing away and trying to get press for and trying to get uh, you know media attention on um you know you look at someone like ricky hatton um because at the start when i started with him he'd already been in so i think he turned pro in 97 so i worked he'd already been two years into his career by the time i started and um 
Um, but even at that time, where there would just be, for example, where Kevin Francis at the Daily Star, uh, Steve Lewis at the Sport, we'd have um, one of the PA Press Association guys come to the press conference. Uh, at Push, we'd have Granada or BBC Northwest and Sky TV at the time. And that would be the press conference over those five journalists. So to develop from that to what Ricky Hatton became, say, around the Costa's U fight, um, obviously prior to that, we were building... He was he was causing more attention, but when you compare that uh, those early days to when we did Costa's U, um, that was absolutely phenomenal to see him come so far and basically a British star developed, you know, coming through the ranks. Um, it was a real that was a that was really um, a special special time. Um, so I think that would be obviously with Frank's matchmaking as well and his ability to to guide and develop fighters. Um, I think that was just the absolute perfect job in terms of building his career and working alongside with his press and publicity. Because at the end of the end, of, the end product was you know you had a you had a superstar on your hands. Mm. And so, I'm, so I'm that sure was probably the most defining time. I'm sure because Ricky's uh, Ricky's scene looked like a kind of party all the time now. Not that he didn't work hard in the weeks and months coming up to a fight, but I'm sure you had some great nights that you uh, you know probably took a liver might have taken a baton for a few days. I'm not sure if you enjoyed, <laughs> but uh, what nights stand out to you? In I, your know, I, I can't think I can say one because I'm quite good. Obviously, I'm quite close with Ricky still, and uh, we've got him set up with you for the uh, for his for his uh, 20th anniversary with Eamon McGee. Yes, um, but the. But straight after the Costa U fight, uh, Frank, uh, he because he was such hot property, um, Frank had to send him to America to watch. Uh, I think just a few weeks afterwards, Arturo Gatti and uh, Floyd Mayweather were fighting in Atlantic City. So obviously, a fight in his weight division at the time, um, and Ricky was going to look to fight the winner. And um, Frank said oh, he couldn't make it. He couldn't go out to do it. So he sent me and Frank Maloney, uh, Kelly Maloney, uh, out to 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 go with him to Atlantic City. So we went out with him, and uh, I think I, I'm not the biggest of drinkers, but uh, we had a we had a few at the in the bar in the hotel as soon as we landed, and um, I said, right, Rick, we've got a busy week of we've got a busy day of press to do tomorrow. Introducing you to the American press because it's the first time. They they've probably seen you since the, the cost is you win. So so we I lined up a press conference in the hotel we were staying in, and we had all the uh you know all the key writers from the New York Times like Tim Smith and Dan Raphael and all these you know all these big US writers. And uh, <clears throat> I think I left Ricky about eight or nine eight or nine o'clock, and um, I went up to bed. And when I come down in the morning, he's still he's still there. I said, Rick, you need to sort of liven up. We've got a press conference in a few hours. Uh, I think he went in and had a, had a cold shower. I don't know what he did, but he came out and he uh, he held it together. And it was, uh, it was he had a good introduction to the US press. Did he come clean? Did he say, lads, I've been on the beer all night? Or did he just, uh, did, he, did he fake it? <laughs> no, he was just, uh, I think he just, uh, he just uh, went along. <laughs> he was fine. <laughs> well, working with Frank Warren and... You know, you you work with loads of Irish fighters. I mentioned them in the intro there, but yes, you know, there's um we've had podcasts in the past with a few of these names, like but Francie Barrett was there. Uh, you would have worked yeah. with Francie. You said Michael Gomez at the start, um, yeah. and Eamon McGee as well. Uh, har- some of them probably harder to handle than the than others. Yeah, well, just I just made a quick list there before I came on, just the, oh, yeah. the names that I worked with. I'll just run them through them quickly. Um, so I've got Wayne McCulloch, Carl Frampton, Eamon McGee, Neil Sinclair, Martin Rogan, Jim Rock, 
Matt Macklin, obviously Irish Brummy, um, Jamie Conlon, Fancy Barrett, Steve Collins Jr., Ocean Fagan, Brian McGee, Stevie and Aaron McKenna, Brett McGinty. Um, so they're the guys that I've been sort of involved and in working with over the years. You're a brave man. You tried to put, um, in 2002, 20 years ago now, you tried to put Eamon McGee into a piece of clothing or a piece of novelty clothing that he wasn't taking too well. <laughs> no, it was uh, Eamon McGee. I've, I've got tremendous respect for Eamon. A hard, hard man. He was um, he was a, a tremendous fighter in the ring, but he was a, you know you look at him, he's like that kind of Roy Keane. He'd look at you and it was that stare. You think, nah, <laughs> he wouldn't have. It. He's a hard man. Uh, but he was absolutely fine. He, you know, he did in terms of press. He was uh, he, he did, did did everything. And his manager was Mike Callahan, uh, who was an absolute legend in in the sport. So Mike uh, was very very good at helping. <laughs> if, if there were any difficulties, Mike would help help me. Um, but yeah, no, it was the we had the we did the press conference in Manchester for Eamon McGee against Ricky Hatton. I got an Irish pub called Waxy O'Connor's in the print works and. Uh, I was just looking to set up a little picture and um, I, had a, I had a little, like a little toy leprechaun um, for him to hold up and do the picture. And uh, Eamon, I said, Eamon, can we do a picture of you afterwards with this little leprechaun? And he looked at it and he gave me that Roy Keane death stare. I said, I'm not effing doing it. <laughs> you want me to hold up this stuff, this stuff, this toy? <laughs> and I said, yeah, please. It's just like a tabloid shot. Um, so he, he walked off and he, he sort of, did a couple of t- might have been thinking about it or speaking to, to Mike and then he came back I'll do the picture <laughs> <laughs> yeah but he didn't do the poster um, but the poster uh, the poster was probably the biggest story that was um, we called the fight Anarchy in the UK um, because it was the 1st of June and it was the anniversary as well of the uh, the Sex Pistol album um, Anarchy, of the, <laughs> Anarchy in the UK and of course if you know the album cover it's got a Union Jack on it um so we made the post we did the I've got the separate images of the fighters done um head to head. So I did them separately, got them imposed onto the poster, and uh all fine. So we got the posters printed, we sent them out, and so I'm on the phone to Eamon, oh, did you get your posters? And uh he says to me, What the F am I supposed to do with this? I said, Well, what's the matter? He goes, There's a union jack on it. <laughs> so I said, I'm saying Oh no! But I said, Eamon, this is the no, this is the theme of the fight because the fight's on the first of June. It's the Sex Pistols, and we just called the fight Anarchy in the UK. And uh, obviously, that created a, a few problems. So I don't know if he ended up putting any up, but um, I didn't press him. I didn't press him on the matter. No, that's for sure. Um, Francie Francie Barrett at the time, bit of an uh, like I've mentioned on this podcast loads of times, one of my first Irish boxing heroes. He was kind of hoping to fight Ricky Hatton or McGee or one of those. It just didn't happen for him. But what was he like to work with, Francie? Yeah, it was fantastic. He came out of the Olympics, correct me if I'm right. Was it the 2000 Olympics? 96. He, he just didn't make the grade for, uh, for 2000. Oh, that was it. So he came, But there was a film around in the Southpaw. Yeah. Um, I remember he had a, quite a celebrated film that I believe that went to a, a few festivals. So it was quite a hit film, but um, but Francie was great to work with. We he turned pro um, with us. I think it was about two thousand or two thousand and one, um, and he um, down in Wembley. And so it was, it was a very very strong Irish um, area there in north north 
North London as well. Um, so it was a, a great catchment area for him. Um, but yeah, no, we put him on a lot of the, at the time there was a venue called the Wembley Conference Centre. Um, so he used to box there. Uh, but yeah, tremendous character. Um, I had lots of good times with him. And uh, But I think he left Frank maybe shortly after and joined with another promoter. But the time I had with him, he was a yeah, thorough professional. Um, so yeah, did lots of good stories, obviously around the film. And that helped market him as, as well. At the time, are you looking for, like, do you screen a boxer if he signs for Frank Warren and you've got to go meet him? Do you go and do an in-depth interview to find out if there's anything different or interesting or quirky about them that, that, that you can now market? Because I remember, like, Martin Rogan fought in Belfast, promoted by Frank Warren, and I think the uh, the poster and the, and the gig was called Taxi Driver, wasn't it? And that was part of his backstory. Yeah, of course. Yeah, another Martin Rogan. What character he was, the big, the big, the big man. Um, yeah, with him, it was like the Rocky story because um, he'd basically come from nowhere. Um, he'd won, uh, I believe, went into prize fighter. Um, I think he uh, did he beat Audley Harrison. He beat Audley Harrison. He did yeah, then, yeah. Uh, one of our shows, and then he fought Matt Skelton in a in a real real war. I think he stopped him in the eleventh round. And this is going back a bit now. Um, and then he had two two wars with Sam Sexton. So he'd made his name in those fights. But he was just an absolute you know, warrior, just constantly throwing punches. But such a big character as well. And um, I think with him, we did a photo um, based around the Rocky poster because it was like a Rocky-type Rocky, Rocky type story with him. We did a poster called Rogie, and uh, we, <laughs> we had a picture of him about some, some steps of a of a of a building, um, pretty much like Rocky in Philadelphia. But I can't remember the name of the building in Ireland that we Stormont. Was a Stormont. Stormont. That sounds. Yeah, that could have been mm. that one. But there's some steps, and we got a photographer to do some pictures um, of Rogie on the steps, imitating Rocky on the steps in Philadelphia. And um, yeah, but he was he was game for anything. He'd do anything. But he's such a such a lovely man and uh, such a big laugh. Um, always remember, always remember Rogi. But yeah, going back to the taxi driver, that's what he was in Belfast, and so he obviously ripped off the uh, the film Taxi Driver from uh, Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you did Shazora Hay at Upton Park in uh, 2012. That was carnage outside the ring. Yeah, everything that surrounded it, but boxing—that's what it's built on, you know, controversy and. Uh, and with, when the two had the fight in Germany, um, of course, that made the that made the fight here. Um, Are you thinking, was, oh, no, I've got to clean up this mess or this is fantastic. This is great. This is going to make my life easier. Whilst in, whilst, in, whilst in other areas, in other sports, maybe you would have to clear it up. But in boxing, it's part and, part and parcel of the sport. You know, it thrives on controversy and, and all that, everything that goes on, the madness and chaos of it. That's what that's what um, that's what sells it. So when you've got two heavyweights like, you know, Derek Chisora and da um, Derek Chisora and David Hay, um, Derek, as you know, he's an absolute loose cannon. <laughs> but such a another guy. I actually loved working with with, with Derek. Um, there was one good sorry, one good story with him quickly is um, I remember when we did the fight with him against uh, Vitaly Klitschko, and um, I think we needed to push push some sales on uh, on Box Nation. And uh, Frank said, have a word with Derek. We just need to liven things up. So I, was, I spoke to Derek while he was in Germany. I was over in England. I was coming over later. I said, Derek, we need to spice things up. Don't worry, buddy. Leave it to me. <laughs> um, that's the way in the next day. And 
he slaps he slaps Klitschko across the face. Yeah. Um, and that is a I mean there's one way to get your get instant headlines. Yeah, yes, boss, I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> was um like was just to add a personal uh, part of the story was like it was I know outside the ropes for you at the time, outside the ring and outside the work life for you at the time, things might have been a bit traumatic because you, you lost your wife in 2011, Richard. Yes, you became, you became a full time, a full time working dad. Can I ask what happened to your to your wife? Yeah, unfortunately, she um, she had this rare type of cancer, um, sarcoma, and it wasn't treatable. And um, it was with my yeah, at the time when we found out she was uh, pregnant with our young son uh, to be Oliver, and. Um, uh, so unfortunately, yeah, we had, she gave birth uh, to Oliver and then she had to immediately had to go into treatment, um, uh, radiotherapy. Um, and then, yeah, unfortunately it wasn't treatable. So unfortunately in 2011, she, you know, she passed away, but she battled like a boxer. You know, she battled and fought hard because Oliver was only five when she went and, uh, it was very, very tough and very hard. Um, um, to go through um, um but yeah it was uh but at the time but look without the help of frank uh frank warren and the, and the rest of the team at the office at the time uh, they all helped me get through so um i was able to do my job um and obviously for my wife's family have been a tremendous help and um, it, they helped me um, um get through and and um, so I was still able to continue working um, um, while, you know, was it, while bringing up my son. Um, but a lot of the time I had to you know, fly out quickly to in the morning, put my son into the nursery, fly out to do a press conference or travel on train somewhere, do a press conference privately. Uh, the, the, everything was running on time and no delays and then get back in time to collect him from after school club. <laughs> so yeah. a lot of the time it's quite quite hairy on timings. Um, but no, it was. Uh, it, you know, everyone has adversities and uh, things in life, and it's when you get through these things and makes you a stronger character and appreciate everything that you've got. Yeah, and and did did people in boxing that you'd be meeting in your everyday duties did they know that you were going through this kind of difficult battle at home? Um, of course, no. Um, certain, obviously, people in the office did, but um, obviously, I never didn't speak to people outside. Um, it wasn't well known. Maybe, maybe people have known because of because of maybe something was said, but nothing was really said around. So it was quite, it was quite, I'm very quite a personal person. Um, I try not to give too much away. Obviously, my work and then my yeah. personal life. But so I know it was. It, it could have been well known at the time, but I didn't really. No, I mean, afterwards I found out a lot of people, more people knew than I thought knew. So it was probably well well known at the time. Yeah, and I suppose did you, did you find solace in the work afterwards as well? Yeah, it was a lot of the a lot of the time because of the stresses and the strains of of the work took my mind off things that were going mm. on. So it was in a way it was kind of like therapy. You know, you'd bury your head into some work and to take your mind off other things that were going on. Um, um, this was whilst um, yeah, my wife was still alive, but um, uh, afterwards it was obviously my son came first, and um, I had to concentrate on him. 
um, make sure that he was okay. He was only five at the time. He's just turned 16 last week. <laughs> so he's, um, but he's, he's quite keen in the media because he's grown up around media and boxers. He's quite keen on, on the media world at the moment. So he's, he may, um, enter that, um, which would be quite interesting to see. Well, his dad's the top man in the boxing writers club. So he's, he's got an in there. Yeah, that's it. He he'd yeah, like to he's got a boxing rights club just yet, chairman. Yeah, he'd like to enter into the media though. And is he is he interested in competing in boxing himself, or is it mainly like? Yeah. Oh man, I would never. No, his, his grandma would kill me. Um, <laughs> I can't let him in the boxing room. He does a little bit. He likes to do a little bit of pads for fitness. So I do a little <laughs> bit of pads with him. He's banging to football. He loves football, so um, plays a lot. Uh, plays a lot of football. So I'm quite keen for him to just progress with that. But yeah, boxing's a when you're a parent and you see a, see a son box with, which I always find hard. You know. I, the boxer that I work with now, Alfie Winter, um, his dad uh, is very close with him. And um, Alfie's the fighter that I manage and, and see his dad uh, having to watch his son fight. I just couldn't be put myself in that position. But ultimately, if the uh, if the, the son, you know, wants to box and wants to do it, he's a grown man and he has to do, make that decision himself um, to do it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, for me personally, that'd be very difficult, difficult to see. Yeah, yeah, you, you you put enough into protecting that kid now. You don't want to be putting him through the ropes. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Richard, you went out in your own 2016, I believe. Why did you Why did you decide to do that, and why did you leave the Frank Warren stable behind? I just I've always had an ambition to create something myself and to work for myself and have my own business. Um, and I've always wanted to to yeah just just have something that I've created myself. You know, to work for Frank Warren for 18 years was an absolute dream. Um, the Hall of Fame promoter promoter you know many world champions um countless epic contests uh, the, the fights that he put together the world title fights bringing these big names through so it was a big decision to to leave and do make do something on my own um but it's but you know you follow your your destiny and um i just believed that i could do something on, on my own and um yeah luckily um a lot of the fighters that i worked with uh, took me on so I worked with David Hay Emma Khan James DeGale um, various promoters um, so it was it was different it was a different working arrangement you know working working with with, with everyone uh, but I believe I've got a good reputation with everyone um, I've uh, been obviously been fair and um, straight and up front with, with, with people that I've worked with and um, I think from that you get a good reputation so um, so I was quite happy to uh, so obviously, they found it. Ultimately, it was the best decision I made. So I was quite pleased to that it's all come out right. I think most of us uh, observers can spot a PR stunt a mile away, but maybe not. I'm sure a lot of them are quite authentic and uh, have the look of it. But one that absolutely looked authentic was when you were working with James DeGale and he dedicated his first world title win to his former amateur adversary and friend, Darren Sutherland. He gained a lot of uh, respect and supporters in Ireland when he did that. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, obviously, the, the, I think they've shared three fights together. Um, Four or five, I think. Yeah. Well, even more. So, yeah. um, I think that that was a from that was certainly no obviously no stunt or that, that was from James. Um, that was from James personally. So, mm. um, 
yeah, that was a message from James. I, no, no, it definitely wasn't a, wasn't a thunder or anything. No, I, I, I wasn't even querying it like that. I, I just mean, you, you see some things that you know are BS or whatever, but absolutely you could see that. Oh, right, yeah. Gail, you know, he, he was fully on board and he fully meant it. And then it came out that he'd been wearing DS on the shorts for all of his previous fights. I don't think he hadn't, he hadn't saw publicity on it. It was just something, it was a personal message that he wanted to do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, with James, he, he had mentioned Darren uh, many a time in, in private, and um, yeah, just believe him. It was just um, the way he wanted to 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 put that across without making it without making it glaringly obvious. But you know, he had the, so much respect for for Darren, and it was such a such a shame um, for him to uh, for what happened with with Darren. Um, but yeah, I think it hit. James and quite you know, a lot of people in the family around him quite hard because of obviously they shared so much, so many, so many rounds together. You, you know, you, you build so much closeness um, in a, when you when you're competing together so so often like that. Yeah, that would have made such a good fight in the in the professional ranks. It's a shame we'll never never get to see it, but we can all use our imagination. And a fight we did get to see that people thought would never happen was Mayweather against McGregor, and you worked the London leg of the press tour. That was that was chaos. Um, did did you have a good time working it, or how how did you get the gig? It was from Swanson PR, wasn't well, it? You? Yeah, yeah, because I've known Kelly for many years, um, Kelly Swanson, and uh, when she uh, when she knew that I'd left, um, when I was working on my own, left Frank, and um, she just she rang me up and said, "Oh, I might have a bit of work for you down the line," and uh, so I said, "Oh, great, yeah, stay in touch." So she called me up uh, a few months after and just said, "You might have heard of this guy, Conor McGregor," and I was like. Yeah, <laughs> so she said we got we've got this big big press tour coming up. We can't say anything about it. It's um, he's going to be fighting Floyd Mayweather. I was like, oh right, wow, okay. And um, she said we're looking to do a world press tour. Can you handle the London side? No, definitely. So so yeah, so we were looking at various venues. I was scouting. Um, we were looking to obviously make it as big as possible. We we're looking to bring in many you know fans so we looked at Wembley Stadium um to begin with and various football clubs Tottenham and uh Wembley and uh yeah just all these various football uh, clubs Arsenal um but I think just in terms of we were just unsure on the side so eventually we settled on Wembley Arena and um yeah on the night it was just it, it, I think tickets went online but it was absolutely packed out I think we had about 10,000 10, came down mm. to to see that to see that uh that press it was like a it wasn't so much a press conference more of a you know uh head to head with the two guys and they had some words with each other but it was uh it was hilarious it was we was on the headsets and uh we were trying to get both one uh i can't remember who was supposed to walk first but mcgregor wouldn't walk unless unless uh mayweather was in was in was in standing there waiting and mayweather wouldn't walk unless mcgregor was standing there so the pair of them had this standoff. So I'm not sure how they actually got them got them to come out. Once to come out first, um, but no, it was the pair of them are the absolute superstars of their own sports, and um, I think it they obviously transcend it as well. Um, but the, the 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 two of them were just absolute um, superstars. So um, it showed it on the on on the night with the with the turnout, and the media turnout for that as well was incredible. That was that was probably on par with probably like a Mike Tyson fight that I worked on. Uh, everybody came out to see that. Yeah, it was ridiculous. As as you became close to the promotion of it, did you start to get sucked in by the hype of it? You're trying to create a bit of hype. So it kind of tends to sometimes suck you in when, you, when, when you're when you closer to yeah. the event. 
Yeah, you look at it and you think, oh, has McGregor got a chance? But no, you look at it on the on paper, you just got to see like, how can someone like that beat beat Floyd Mayweather? But yeah, like you say, you, you do get caught up in it, and McGregor's McGregor, I think McGregor can sell sand to the uh, to the Arabs. He's a brilliant salesman, and he could convince you. But on paper, when you look at it, there was no way that uh, that he, he could beat uh, Floyd Mayweather. He's one of the great, one of the greats. Yeah, in more recent years, the Irish fighters you've worked with, like you said, were Brett McGinty, Stevie, and Aaron McKenna. You were doing a bit of work for Hennessy Sports. Um, yes, and we obviously spoke over and back about uh, you know different ideas for articles and stuff like that. You were trying to promote them, and you did a good job on them. Um, <laughs> did Did you enjoy working with the McKennas? They're not the they're not their usual. Uh, they're not Ricky Hatton. They're not Conor McGregor. They you know they're quieter guys, but they're devoted to the sport. So it's a different challenge. Yeah, no, definitely. It's um, um, working with Mick and, and those guys. He signed um, some, you know, some key talents there. Um, I think he was looking to make a big push within the Irish market. Um, obviously, Brett McGinty was a, a top amateur. Um, he's one with Ricky Hatton, and obviously Stevie and Aaron had um, had been with uh, Gold, Golden. Boy. I think Aaron was with Golden Boy, um, and um, Stevie had come away, and he was he signed with Mick. So. Um, but the yeah, the two brothers was a great story, and uh, they're all, as you know yourself, they're always up to something outside of the outside of the um, the boxing ring, away in their downtime from training. So I just like, the stuff they're doing is incredible, you know, horse riding and uh, going yeah. out sailing and all the stuff yeah. that they're doing. It's traded in traded in jet skis. Yeah, traded in jet skis yeah. for horses. Now they're starting a bit of golf. They're playing a bit of GA here at the minute. Yeah, it was they're they're busy lads. That's it. Yeah, yeah. but now all that stuff is key. You know, just to keep building. You know, you're looking for stories and angles and just different, something different. Um, whilst we whilst we all understand the boxing is what they do, but you just you just need something to make the story bigger uh, with them. And um, those two with their dad, with their father, um, Burgle, uh, they're just such a great unit. Um, um, but I can see these guys going to the top. Stevie's just an absolute monster, um, monster puncher. So exciting, and the same with Aaron. So I just think uh, these two are going to, in a few years' time, they're going to be ruling, ruling the uh, their divisions. Now, currently, you're doing a bit of work for Boxer on Sky Sports. Which fighters' uh, backstories have you excited at the minute? Because you know, you're going to get you're going to get a good platform there on Sky to promote these guys or to work out a way for these lads to sell themselves. Uh, which which fighters uh, excite you? Great, yeah. Well, the, the um, boxer. I've been with boxer. Well, previously it was called Ultimate Boxer, um, mm. so I've been with them for about five years. Before, well, with Ben promoter Ben Shalom before he started uh, promoting, um, so I was helping them uh, with their tournament Ultimate Boxer, and then uh, they've come through um, successfully, and now they're uh, promoting as boxer on Sky Sports. So they're um, they've got an incredible. They're amassing an incredible stable of talent. Um, uh, boxers, uh, so you've got, you've got like Caroline Dubois and Richard Riatpour, the Azim brothers, um, Fraser Clark. They've just signed the two female um, mm. Olympians, gold medalist and bronze medalist, um, Lauren Price and Karis Artenstall. And there's some more big signings coming up as well. Um, but yeah, at the moment, they're just ripping through and, uh, and, and just amassing all this talent and yeah like I say it's just going through them all and picking out the stories and which ones are the key ones and um, one of the best guys that I found at the moment is Richard Riakpo. Um he's uh, he's, on, he's not going to door of a world title fight but some of the stuff he, he's doing is incredible he didn't he rung me up the other day to tell me 
he disappeared after the fight and we couldn't reach him. So he calls me when he comes back. Richard, I've got a story for you. I said, where have you been? I said, I've been trying to get you after the fight. We have some press to do. He goes, I've been in Nigeria. And I said, oh, okay, we're visiting family. He goes, no. I goes, I've been, I had to, I had to be smuggled in into Nigeria because if I'd have, if I'd have, uh, if it had been publicised that I'd been going to Nigeria, I would have been captured by Boko Harim. I was like, right, what were you doing? And he said, I was there as an ambassador for Street Child, um, helping the charity, um, helping the charity um, with the, with the work that they do with the kids. So I couldn't let anybody know I was going. Uh, but can you get some press coverage on it for me? So, <laughs> of course, I'm on the phone to my so feature writers, key feature writers, and um, of course, I've set set something up, which you'll see soon. Um, but and he does he, him himself. He's a he's a victim of a stabbing uh, in in his youth. Um, that's what turned him in towards boxing. Um, now he goes into schools. He's going to a school on Thursday, which we've arranged some press around, um, some Sky TV coverage. Um, <coughs> he's going to go into a school and talk to the kids, dangers of knife crime, get into, you know, get into sports. Obviously, he's going to be pushing the boxing, but not just boxing. You know, he's been pushing football and just get yourself into some type of sport away from um, any trouble. And um um, so Richard's Richard's one of the guys that's got some great backstories, and there's more. There's more. There's more to come out as well. Yeah, yeah. Drip feed, drip, drip. Don't give it all away at the start. Uh, just before we go, Richard and uh, Richard Maynard of Maynard Communications, thank you so much for your time. But just before you go, if any uh, young boxers are listening in and they want to get a bit of advice on how to promote themselves, they they all have talent. We know it. You know, they all to to compete in boxing. You got to have heart. You got to have talent. But the, the missing the missing thing sometimes is there and, and different stars emerge you know cheeky chappies quiet guys very loud brash people they, every one of them can emerge and become a become like a much loved public figure but what would be Richard Maynard's tips for the top for a young boxer looking to promote themselves well it's like anything it's, a, it's such a crowded market and it's making it standing out and making noise now it, you know if a character or a fighter it, it doesn't have that um, is not comfortable pushing themselves out there. Um, there's different ways of doing it. It's, it's, it's. I think it's pretty much like, um, yeah, like the X Factor and, and things. It's, it's, it's singling you out and just trying to push yourself to the front and get yourself seen. It's the, it's a case of who makes the loudest noise and gets seen, uh, because otherwise you get drowned out and lost. Um, so fighters now, obviously with social media, they need to just be constantly pushing themselves on out on that and looking for looking for the key um, uh, little key stunts or anything they can do to to attract attention to themselves. Um, but it's it's so competitive um, out there, and everyone's looking to looking to you know, be the next big thing. So to be to be out there, you need to think of something inventive. Um, uh, but no, I'm happy to speak to any fighters if they if they want to give me a call and uh, I can have a little chat with them. But um, but yeah, it's just the case you've got to continually now. Social media is free, you know. You you've got the whereas previously you'd have to probably hire a PR person to do it. But now you can just push it, push and promote yourself uh, free of charge on your on your own on your own platforms. And it's a case of um, of really you know, coming up with something inventive, ingenious. Um, to make yourself stand out from the from the rest of the crowd. Speaking as someone, I've 
worked in journalism for a few years and not done as much boxing stuff in the last few years. But speaking personally, I'd say maybe hold a bit of this stuff back off social media, maybe develop a relationship with a journalist that you trust. And if something, if a big development happens in your life, maybe trust the journalist that, you know, you've built up a relationship with to tell that story rather than, you know, just just plonking it out there on social media. Everyone sees it. Then it doesn't really get picked up. It gets maybe 100 likes on your Facebook page or whatever it is, 100 likes on your Instagram. But it doesn't really go where it should. Like, and you could, you could, a boxer could find a way to get their name out there, get a bit of publicity, especially if it's something positive. But often, you know, you can make currency in the negative as well if you've learned from the experience or whatever that might be. Uh, so that's what that's what I suggest. But there you go. That's Kevin Burns' tip for uh, P- wannabe PR. <laughs> Sounds good, crack, Richard. Really enjoyed uh, having you on. It's, we're actually nearly at an hour, which is incredible. But you're just a uh, an hour. Yeah, we were like we started recording after about ten minutes, so we're nearly we're hitting an hour of this, this call. So, yeah, you're a busy oh, man. God, I, <laughs> you're a busy man. I appreciate you giving us the time today on the rocky road, and I'm no doubt our listeners will have enjoyed the experience. Brilliant. No, uh, thanks very much for having me on. I know you've had a illustrious list of names in the <laughs> past. So I'm glad to follow in the uh, footsteps. Is there anything we failed to touch on that you anticipated talking about? Oh, no, no, it's, no, it's all good. Um, uh, no, I just want to say that a lot of the Irish journalists I've worked with as well, um, you know, obviously like yourself and then Jerry Callan, David Kelly, Eamon O'Hara, they're some of the names I work with. Huey, Huey Russell for the photographer. He's a, he's a legend in the photography, sports photography world. Um, yeah, some of the trainers and managers I've worked with, you know, John Breen, um, I worked with him with many of his fighters, um, and he was an absolute gentleman um, as well. Um, Barry McGuigan, of course, um, I worked with him and uh, his sons, um, who look after the Zine brothers, um, Caroline Dubois. Um, but yeah, no, they were, they were just some of the additional names I was, was going to mention, but no, you covered everything. No, it's all good. Well, look, Richard Maynard from Maynard Communications, thank you very much for joining us today on The Rocky Road. Join us again next week. And Richard, I'll speak to you soon, I'm sure. Thanks, Kevin. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. 
Shopify.com slash work.